It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Bear Boat Alaska, a pure DIY hunting game with one of their 37-foot adventure yachts. You and five of your friends can hunt, fish, set crab pots, shrimp pots, and take DIY to the next level. Bear Boat Alaska is locally owned by a Ketchikan resident who lives here year-round. Call Larry at 907-617-4542 or go to bearboatalaska.com. That's B-A-R-E boatalaska.com and tell Larry you heard about it on this podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, Daniel, this is your third time on here, right? That's it. I'm like a regular now. You you are. You are. I've liked the revisiting and, and having guests on again. Sometimes you have a, a bigger like understanding can get past some of the initial stuff. When did you start hunting and this and that? And you can kind of get into more you get a better feel for some of the good people and you have a more depth to it. I kind of like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's you, you, you go over the initial uh, like introductory questions and stuff and you can get a little deeper. Yeah. I actually want to start with something that's, that's, that's fairly deep. I saw that uh, you went uh, hunting with your dad this, uh, this year and that's a real special thing. My dad passed away in 2009 and I think about, you know, I don't dwell on it, but you think about, opportunities that uh i didn't have with my dad because uh he passed away uh so how special was it uh, to hunt with your dad well first of all sorry about the the passing of your dad um that's you know sad but uh you know i was i was i felt really uh honored i felt very um i felt like the like the 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 baton had been passed on to me. I hadn't been hunting with my dad. I, I think it was like t- at least 20 years. Oh, wow. I hadn't gone with him. And, you know, we've been going every year and I go with my friends, I go with my brothers. And, and, uh, when he said that he was interested in going, I was like, okay, let's do this. What, what do I got to do to, uh, to, to make sure that he's comfortable. Cause you know, he's done the full transition to the, uh, to the snowbird and the motorhome life. Oh yeah. So, so, so the first thing I told him, I was like, you know, we're going to be sleeping in a tent, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But I will say that it was, um, it was great. It was, it was so cool to, uh, to revisit, revisit those type of uh, opportunities to, with my dad. And, you know, I don't know how many more chances uh, I'll have with that. And, you know, he's the one that took me out when I was a, a young, a young boy and, and a teenager. And, and for him to still want to come out and kind of turn the tables where, you know, I was pretty much in charge and choosing where we're going and, and the trail and being in charge of all the gear and all the stuff. It, it, I almost felt like I was the dad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's awesome to have that, rite of passage that um that connection that um you know father son thing mother daughter mother son you know it doesn't really uh, matter but having that person in your life that you're able to do that and i think it is really really special um and if you don't have that it, it can kind of it kind of be tough i think about that with with some of the students that i might uh teach or interact with that 
you know, they might not be learning some of these things from, from someone who might not have the mentor in their life. And that's something that kind of in the back of my head as a teacher, do you, uh, does that kind of infiltrate or, or dictate some of the decisions that, uh, that you make and uh, how you treat some of the kids you work with? Oh, a hundred percent. I, I always show, um, students the, uh, the pictures of, of the things I'm doing and, and as they, you know, I'm in elementary school, but I have so many st- students, you know, this is my 21st year. So I have students that now are adults, um, that will come and visit me or I'll run into them or they'll find me on Facebook or something and they'll reach out. And, and I've had several actually that I've kind of lead it, into, into getting outside, whether it's, it's fishing or hunting and they'll call me for advice. And I've given them like old gear and old stuff like that and offered to, to even take them on trips if they wanted to go. Um, I think, I think it's important and I think it's really cool that for these, these students of mine that, that lived only with their mom, they were raised by their mom. And so maybe I'm the only guy that they know that is doing things like that. And, and, and for them to feel comfortable enough to reach out, you know, all these years later and be like, Hey, Mr. B, mm-hmm. you know, I knew you were into this stuff back then. And I'm looking to, you know, purchase my first rifle or, you know, I'm trying to go out and, and go fishing. Like, do you have any advice? And I pretty much just like, drop everything I'm doing to, you know, show them or, or give them any type of advice that they could, uh, that would help them out. Yeah. There's certainly, women can definitely raise boys. There is no doubt about that, but there is something different about that connection. Same thing with uh, mother daughter. There's just something that's a little different. Again, it doesn't mean that a single parent can't be a great parent and raise awesome kids. There's just something a little bit different. It's important to be able to have that other, that other element. Yeah, I agree. And, and a lot of times it's, you know, 100% you're right. They they, they do have the, the uh, they can do it. Um, but a lot of times, at least with the, with the experiences I've had is, is they're pretty much just on survival mode um, yeah. with some of the students that I have. And they're just living with their mom and their brother and sisters, and they're just trying to survive. So like trying to do anything above and beyond just putting food on the table and making sure the kids are in school and all that stuff is, is, is sometimes tough. So to have someone from the outside be able to offer any type of advice, I think it's, I think it's so cool. Yeah. It's tough in a place like Alaska. You'd think that everybody would have access and everybody would fish, but you know, I've had students in high school that have never fished before because no one was there to teach them, show them, or, or take them. And you just think, man, this is this is southeast Alaska. I guess maybe Anchorage would make sense because it's a big city and they might not have access outside of the town. But, like, how do you not hike and fish and hunt and all that stuff up in Alaska? It's just, it's just pretty crazy. Oh, I, I run into it all the time. You, you have uh, students or even friends that I grew up with that have never even like gone off the road. They've never, they see you doing all these, you know, extracurricular things on these trails and rafts and and hiking hunts and all this stuff. And, and to them, it's amazing. And they always reach out that they want to do it one day. Um, I think they find, they think it's daunting. They think it's like something really extreme when really it's not, you know, once you go do it, and I, and I, and I find it really cool when I actually take someone that's never been and then they t- 
take it upon themselves to go like I'll show them a certain area and I'll be like, you guys can continue to come here. Like, you know, I, I have a different area. You guys can fish this area or hunt this area. And then year after year, they'll, they'll bring someone else they know. And the next thing you know, they're looking for new areas and they'll call me and, and text me and say, oh, you know, we were successful or we weren't successful. And, and just kind of like push them in that direction a little bit and, and kind of like take away some of those fears that they might have. And it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. I had a, a student ask me, I think on Tuesday of this week, uh, Sterling, what do you do during your free time during the weekend? I said, oh, yeah, I go home and I put on my corduroy jacket and I sit in my chair and I read poetry. And the look on some of the <laughs> kids' face was like, oh, dude, he sucks. This is awful. I said, no, I'm just kidding. I actually ju- just got back from a mountain goat hunt with my wife. And some, some of them were like, dude, that's cool. But it, it's, it is pretty cool to, to have that connection. I have kids that uh, want to show me the, the bucks that they killed. And there's one student that brought in the uh, uh, horns from the mountain goat she got. Her dad's a guide um, and, you know, took her out and, and uh, they got a nice billy. So, uh, yeah, it's just really cool to have that other connecting point, you know, knowing that not all these kids are going to be, you know, going off to college or all these kids are going to, you know, there's other interests too and, just to that connecting point, and they trust you more. It's a lot of fun. It makes it a lot more fun as, as a job, too. It is. It's pretty rewarding when you, when you see that, especially if you had any type of influence on that. Yeah. So you're talking about being a little bit intimidated with the road and whatnot. You know, speaking for, like, adults who are, you know, maybe living in Ketchikan and thinking about going up there to, to visit, I'm really intrigued. And I just bought an alpaca raft, got in the mail a couple of days ago. Nice. Uh, and like some sort of float, um, are there a whole bunch of places to float up there or are there just a couple main ones? I know, I think you've mentioned the, the Gulcana. What was a, what is a Gulcana summer recreation hunt or, um, thing, a fishing trip look like? And then how does that vary from maybe a, a float trip that some people do for hunting? Um, I would say that there's, there's several, there's several that you could do, um, you know, as far as like, you know, class one, class two waters, um, you know, beginner to, to meteor, medium, you know, skill level. Um, and then there's also ones that, you know, you better know what you're doing before you go on that river. That's not me. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, and I got friends on both spectrums of that. And, and me, you know, as I go with my family and stuff like that, so I'm not trying to do anything extreme. Um, the Golcana is definitely, you know, uh, level one, I'd say, um, level one trip where, uh, you know, you're not going to run anything too extreme. Um, but there's, uh, you know, there's the Kenai River, there's uh, even smaller ones. Anytime someone's going to start off, I like to tell them to go to uh, Portage, to Portage Creek, which is really close to town. It's like, you know, 30 minutes outside of town. Um, and you can just start at the lake and cruise to the highway. And you're pretty much kind of following the road that goes in there. So if you do come mm-hmm. across anything or something happens, you're close, you know, and your phone works there. Uh, so you're not like totally in the middle of nowhere. But it's a good starting point to, uh, you know, kind of learn your raft or learn your your uh, pack raft or whatever you got. And then from there, I, I, I like to tell people, well, once you do that, then you can start doing like the upper Kenai or the middle Kenai river. And then from there you can go on to some of these longer, longer trips, like a Gokana trip, you know, we've been doing it for a long time and, and we, we squeeze it into like a Thursday to Sunday. 
um, which which makes for really long days on the water. Mm-hmm. Um, I do plan on taking the family out next year, and I'm probably going to do like a six day, so that it's not so long of a day on the raft. I mean, for 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 me, I don't mind being on the raft for like you know ten hours, but as if you're bringing a kid, you know that's that might mm-hmm. be a little bit long. Yeah, especially if it's pouring rain. What about put in and takeouts? Are there is there a pretty balanced amount of uh, put-ins and takeouts. I was looking at something like on the Yukon maybe, and if you put in at, at Circle or wherever, you're like you're going a long way until you hit the highway. So do you have um, you know, like a, a seven-mile section you like, 14, 15, or is it pretty much everything that you could uh, ever want? For the Gulcana? For any of these around, is it? Uh... Yeah, no, well, there's various ones. Um, so, so yeah, there is different, there's different lengths, and I guess it depends on uh, – on on how far you want to go per day um so you can choose um short routes like for example like on the upper kenai if you if you were going to start up at the lake um there's kind of like a midday trip where you could go and you can stop at sportsman's landing that's where the kenai ferry is or you could start at the ferry and go to jim's landing and that's another like half day trip you know, so it depends how much time you have. And then there's also the full day if you want to start at the lake and go all the way down. And then if you have a motor, you can continue through gyms and then, you know, go through ski lack and do the middle. Mm. So you could really do, you could do a, a few hours or you could do a few days Yeah, on, on that river. And the same with Golcana. The Golcana, um, I would say you probably need at least three days to do the first section. You're kind of away from the road. Um, but that second section, if you were to start at um, at Sourdough there, there's you're more by the road, so that's like a shorter. You could probably do even like a, a day or two trip on that one. Cool. Do you see a lot of those sound like really fun fishing trips, recreation type type trips? Do people go down those same rivers for for hunting? Um, not, do- uh, not on the key, not on the Kenai. I I have thought about hunting on the volcana i don't i haven't heard of many people doing it um i have i like to go i like to do that like that like in july mm-hmm. um for weather purposes and the level of the water um i i haven't heard much of people doing it for hunting and to be honest i i don't remember ever seeing a lot of game mm-hmm. you know when we go on the ships but we're not being quiet either yeah, you yeah. know we're drinking beers and you know hooting and hollering so um but there is there is there's other ones that you could do where it, it you could definitely do a hunting trip on it yeah it's getting to that time of year where i'm thinking about i've transitioned from the summer fishing and those sort of adventures to the to the hunting and of course i'm thinking about one of the most iconic alaska trips you could do which would be a float for moose and so it just start you start looking at the logistics of okay where are you going to go first for a tag uh, do you need to draw? Is it over the counter? And then, you know, how how big of a raft and who's the, where's the put in and the takeout and whatnot. But uh, do you do, uh, is your moose a, a drive-in or a float or have you done both? And, or which one do you prefer? Um, I've done both. I have been on three moose float hunts. Um, I'm probably going to do a moose float hunt next year. Um, my dad and my two uncles who'd never gone hunting either went on this ATV hunt with me this past, um, this past August, September. And so I'm thinking of planning a, a, a float with them next year. Um, as far as like, you know, choosing a river, um, 
like the ones that we did, we, we ended up finding someone that had done it before to kind of get like, basically for safety purposes, just to be like, well, you know, what, is there anything crazy we need to know? Is there any kind of rapids or waterfall or a pinch point or anything like that so that we could look it up in the map. And, and as you've talked about several times, like, e-scouting and all that there's only so much you could do yeah you know and so you can do all as much as you want but till you really get there you don't really realize like oh there's no way to camp here there's no way to stop here um so once you do the river once like we've done one river three times and and now i feel like we know it you know Mm -hmm. now we know like okay well next time we'll camp here and 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 as you go down we're marking like well this would be an excellent uh lookout spot or excellent camp spot um, so I think it takes at least at least two times to do a, a river or a creek to to feel comfortable knowing um, where to stop and where to where are good hunting spots. And then also like the first two times that we did this specific river, um, we didn't bring a motor. Mm. And then we realized in the end, like, oh, this is actually motorized on the second part, and it ended up saving us like a day and a half. So we got more time hunting and then less time on the float out because the end, it got all flat and like windy mm. and it was, oh, it was a nightmare. Just <laughs> orange. It was yeah. like a day, two days of just, just straight orange, you know? Yeah. And so once you have that motor and you know that you can motor that end part, it made it, it made it a lot, a lot yeah. smoother. Do you get a lot of river changes? Um, a lot of the rivers down here are smaller because they're island rivers and so it takes a lot of snow uh, with the runoff and then a ton of rain too to kind of misdirect, create new bars or braids in the, in the water or in the, in the river. Do you get uh, more of that up there? Um, yes, that, that definitely happens. Um, I, I think you can notice it a lot if you're going to um, the same river, you know, several times, especially if you're like fishing and you'll notice like, man, like last year the fish were running over here and now they're on the other side or you'll notice like oh the water's not not as high over here on this bend and now it's it's moved over um so yeah those things are always changing especially those rivers up north when you're going up like by fairbanks and stuff like that and they're and they're getting a whole bunch of snow and then that snow comes down and all those trees get get pushed down through that water and it just kind of changes the terrain mm-hmm. um so those are those are important things um, there's some really good books. Um, and I got to think of the one that, that there's a really, 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 really good Alaska book. I'll have to send you the copy of it. Um, I'm trying to think of what the lady's name. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint, You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. 
All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com/waypoint. That is mintmobile.com/waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Um, and I don't have it on hand, but uh, she, basically she outlines almost every floatable river in Anchorage with put outs, several put outs, what to look for um, and all those different things so that you at least have a somewhat idea of like how long it's going to take and what the conditions of the water are. Hmm. And there's people like Luke Mel. Uh, I don't know if you heard of him. He is. He wrote the. Uh, he wrote the. Uh, hold on, let me. The uh, pack. The pack graph guide. The last okay. pack graph guide. Okay. And he's an excellent source of information. He's always open to like taking phone calls. He's done so many rivers on pack graphs and knows so many places. Um, so there's definitely people that have most likely done whatever river or creek that you're going to want to do. And, you know, people are open to sharing because nobody wants to see anybody, like, get hurt or, or yeah. get stranded out there. Does it feel – it feels to me like if you plan a trip up there, you'd be so worried about people showing up and people being up there. When I was on the, the Hall Road this year, I was just amazed at how many people were up there. I expected to see some truck traffic, but then there were also people who were just sightseeing, just wanted to drive the road, and there were people – you know, scientists or whoever that were that were at those stations, and just a ton of hunters too. I would think that a lot of those float hunts in the Matsu Valley, out by uh, Matanuska and whatnot, that would just be you'd constantly be worried about finding a, lo- a lot of people. Are is it like that, or are you, you something you can't oh, worry about? Gonna, you're definitely going to run into people. It doesn't. I feel <laughs> like it doesn't matter unless you have a super cub, and even those guys tell me they're running into people. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing with the river is, is you, you might run into a group or, or pass a group, but you know, you go a couple bends and you feel like you're in your own, your own area mm-hmm. there because a lot of those rivers, I mean, you're talking a 80 mile river and you might see four groups. Um, and so you'll just kind of go past them and make sure you're far away. And a lot of times you're leapfrogging with these guys, you know. And, 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 and a lot of times, like what, like the one river we've gone, we know that there's some good spots. And so we'll see some other guys that are going to go and like, well, we got to get ahead of them so that we can get to that good spot. Because if they've been there before, they're probably gunning for the same, the same uh, spot as you, um, because it has a good lookout or has a good, you know, flat spot to camp. Mm-hmm. Have you got uh, a couple of spots dialed in and uh, that consistently produce, or are you kind of, always in the i gotta find this new spot or let's try this spot what uh what does that look like um yeah i have i have i would say i have two spots that i've done um that we have been successful and and people i know that have gone have been successful um but i'm always looking for another spot Mm -hmm. you know i'm always looking for another river uh, another another place because to me it's exciting to go down something that I've never been on and just to see new country and, and new areas um, 
you know, I get in this conversation with guys that, that go to the same moose camp every year. I think it's beautiful that they have this tradition with their family or their dad or their uncle and their, the, whatever their group of, of guys. And I know Jack goes with his dad and, and their, and their group and Brandon goes with, with uh, Eric and, and their dad and their group. And they go to the same spot every year. Um, I get a little jealous of that, <laughs> but I feel they also get a little jealous of me going to go check out all these new spots because mm-hmm. they feel so committed to, to the same thing. Whereas I'm still searching like for new spots. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be tough, too. If you go a year without getting one, you think, okay, well, it was a down year. Maybe it was this or that. And then you start getting two years without one. Okay, this is still, this is an awesome camp. I really like it. I enjoy the experience, but um, it would be nice to get a moose as well. Yes. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. And and last year on the river that we went on, um, we, we saw lots of moose. We unfortunately did, we didn't get one that year. Um, we had an opportunity, we missed the opportunity and, uh, that we also had an opportunity on some caribou and didn't get the caribou. Um, we actually got COVID that kind of ruined everything. I was, I got so sick. That's the worst thing that happened is when you're sick on the river. Cause there's no, there's no getting out of there. Yeah. Um, but these other guys we knew they were successful on them and we had leapfrog them and they were in one of the spots we wanted to go and they ended up being successful in that spot. Um, but we talked to uh, another guy that we know who did that river this year and he didn't see a thing. Mm. So I don't feel as bad. <laughs> or I, you know, I feel bad for him that he didn't see anything, but I feel I feel okay or less FOMO that we didn't do the river this year because he went and he camped exactly where we were last year and saw, you know, four or five really nice bulls and, uh, and he didn't see one. Hmm. So, you know, that seems kind of to be the, the theme of the year. You know, there's been low numbers and low people being successful this year. I'm, I'm not really sure what, what caused that or why. I mean, maybe all this rain, but. Yeah. Have you noticed dips in the past where it's uh, maybe a couple of years things are a little bit off or maybe it's it could also just be the friend circle. There are times where it seems like every single person is shooting a deer because every single person that is shooting a deer happens to be in your friend group or that you're following on Facebook. Uh, do you kind of see this ebb and flow of, of moose success? Uh, I think I see it more with the caribou. Hmm. I think I see it more with the caribou. I, all the guys that I know, I mean, they're hunting caribou and moose. Um, I think, man, this seems to be like the first year that I've seen like low numbers of, of people being successful with the moose. Um, I've seen lots of ebbs and flows with the caribou as, you know, so either they're there or they're not, you know, but moose is, it seems to be a little bit different. Um, you know, I, I don't really know what the answer is there on why, why it is. Like you said, it could be the circle of friends, like, you know maybe our group or the people we know that weren't successful, but there's obviously you go online or, you know, on Instagram and you see people posted pictures and yeah. there's obvious <laughs> success happening. <laughs> yeah, for sure. hundred percent. That's such a weird thing. And, you know, even if you, you talk to biologists, even it's difficult for them to have a real good, they have the best finger on the pulse because uh, they have the most information, most resources available, but even them, it's very difficult to tell and, and, you know, it's educated guess at best, and that's just kind of what we're, we're dealing with. And then you have anecdotal uh, evidence, which sometimes is good. Sometimes it's just your observation, which might be the exception to the rule. And that can be uh, tough to then figure out if this is a trend or a one-year thing or, or what. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. It's 
I don't think anyone really has the answer. No. What would be your answer to the hunt that you have the most dialed in? Like you do a lot of stuff there. You've got uh, you've got your sheep program. You've got your float moose program. You've got your caribou program. You got all those. Which one do you think you have the most kind of dialed uh, in? I would say my caribou hunt is probably the most dialed in, but that's changing now because I don't know if you know this, but that Nelchina herd that we've hunted you know, for the last, I don't know, 15 years, um, a lot of them went to their winter grounds and they've, uh, integrated with the 40 mile herd. Ooh. Um, so now the numbers are way less. And so now what's happening is they are not putting out, um, the quotas are less and less. So typically I, I used to like to wait, um, till the end Till, you know, it close of the 20th, I would like to, I normally would go the 17th or like the 16th and run it to the end um, because I would know there where they would be herding up and where, where, where they'd be crossing these mountains. Um, but now, now that they changed it, um, it's like you got to go out on the opener. You got to go mm. out that first week or else it's closed. And so the, 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 the areas where I would be successful in the past where it's later and it's snowing and they're all grouped up, it's not the same. So you try to go to that same spot, you know, earlier in August or whatever, and there's nothing there. Hmm. Interesting. When I was up in Fairbanks for the Hall Road hunt, we went the very beginning of August just because that was what what worked for, for both my buddy Ryan and I. And people were talking about the herd hadn't really, like the 40 mile hadn't really moved into position yet. Um, and if you know, they were closer to Canada or whatever. And then when we went up North on the hall road, they hadn't really started herding together and there were just a few singles and that was all we were hunting at. It was like, everybody was going after the couple singles that happened to be unlucky enough to be next to the road. And it was pretty chaotic, but, um, yeah, I, I, I just expected to see massive amount and I didn't see any more than two together at the same time, which was pretty wild. That was way north yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, and that and that depends. Either there's a plethora and you get to choose one, or there's like onesie twosies. You know, if you're lucky. And I was actually just talking to a buddy last night um, about it because we didn't get our caribou and he didn't get his caribou, and so we're talking about possibly going to Adak. I don't know if you looked oh. into that at all. Um, so basically, the deal with Adak, it's it's unlimited caribou because you know there's no predators there. Um, the flight is pretty cheap if you're a resident in Anchorage and you got miles and you can rent, you could, you know, you could bring all your gear or you can rent a house and a truck from somebody over there and just hike around and, and, and stay for a week, fairly cheap, um, probably cheaper than I've done my last moose hunt, you know, bringing in all the stuff on ATVs and all that and gas and everything that you bring. Um, so we're, we're actually thinking about possibly running up there um and seeing if we can get something uh, that's because hilarious there's, there's a, yeah there's a lot of us that haven't done it and i i always like just like new people that have never done anything i, I thought it was going to be daunting because i've heard both ways i've heard well you go there and they're right there and you're successful and then i hear people that go there and it's a nightmare so mm -hmm. after speaking to several other people that have gone it's like well actually it's not it doesn't sound that that difficult you know it doesn't and it's not that expensive 
and it's unlimited caribou. Not that you need a bunch. I mean, I just need one. Yeah. Um, so it's really like a it's really like a a meat, you know, a harvest kind of deal. And as a backup plan for me and some of my other buddies that weren't were not successful this year, it's pretty enticing to uh, to look into that. Yeah, that's uh that is something else. That's a funny audible. Like rather than oh, you know, I'm just gonna drive to this other county or whatever. If you're down south on the road system, just uh, you know, maybe head over here or you know, I picked up an over-the-counter tag in Colorado or something like that. Like flying to ADAC. That's that's yeah, that's badass. Yeah, you know, and, and and as we as we were talking about it last night, it's it's almost easier than it would be us, you know, driving and trying to do you know the winter the forty mile winter. Mm-hmm. You know, because you go do that, and you know you got to load up the snow machines, and you got to have a ability to 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 stay warm if you're bringing all this firewood for a, a Arctic oven or a motorhome or renting a cabin, and you start adding up all the costs. It's like, well, it's cheaper to fly to ADAC, you yeah. know, and just bring minimal stuff like you would go on a, on a sheep hunt. You could do it that way. And then my other buddy was saying, well, I rented this house and a car for this for this price. And I was like, well, that's cheaper than what I just spent on a moose hunt, <laughs> you know? So, so I was like, that's actually a really, really good option. Yeah. Um, my, my Alaska geography is failing me a little bit. ADAC is, is it closer or further than at two? Or where is it in relation uh, to Unalaska? Or is, is Unalaska on ADAC? That's a really good question. Like how far out um, the Aleutians are we talking here? Let me see. Good thing I have a computer on my phone or a computer in my pocket here, actually, in my hand. So ADAC is... It's like halfway see. out the chain, right, if not further? Yeah, so it's it's past Unalaska. So it goes... Uh, it's between Unalaska and Atu. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and there's different ways to do it. Like there's um, there's guys that do it with uh, with boats, and which is really you probably have the most success that way. Obviously, it's more expensive. It's a little bit more cozy because you're coming back to the boat of a nice boat every night, and you got a heater and all and food and all that stuff on the boat, and you can cruise around the island and find them. Um, or you can, you know, it seems like you could go as minimal as you would on a sheep hunt, or as big as a moose hunt. You know, mm-hmm. as far as as far as the amount of gear you can go, because you're going on Alaska Airlines, and if you're a Club Forty Nine member, you can you know have th- three bags. Yeah. And so I was I was kind of hashing out the details. I was like, well, how do you get the meat back, and how much stuff are you bringing, and so it just seemed like endless. However, you wanted to do it, you know, you could go full full glam and and bring everything, or you can go mountain house style. Yeah. Huh. Uh, how long is that flight? Good question. Good question. I don't know. I do know that it was only 7,000 miles. Oh, whoa. That's Actually, like that's, that's not surprising at all. I mean, that's not exactly a, a place that people are, are going to this time of year. It's not, yeah. a, not a hotbed. It's not uh, not Hawaii in uh, December. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. That's funny you said that because my wife and I just booked for Hawaii and we could have went halfway around the world with the amount of money we spent to go to Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it looks like, uh, according to the Alaska Airlines app here, it's three hours and 11-minute flight. Okay. Is that out of Anchorage? Yeah, Anchorage to ADAC, three hours and 11 minutes. Three hours gets you – shoot, that gets That's you from – That gets you from Seattle, like, halfway across the U.S. 
Yeah, that's not bad at all. And I know that they do it. Um, the flights are like Wednesdays and Saturdays, I want to say, mm. you said. So you could even do like just a Wednesday to Saturday. I, I probably want to do the week long um, so you have more time. Yeah. Huh. Um, but just like anything out there, I mean, the later you go, the better chances you are, is what I heard, because they're, the animals are on a certain side of the island. Um, and then as, as November comes along, they move to the closer to where you get dropped off at. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also you're dealing with, you know, worse weather. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Interesting. Uh, have you got any caribou super early in the season? One of the things my buddy Ryan and I were both kind of, I guess, maybe surprised about is that the antlers were, it seemed like they were 100% cartilage. We both shot relatively young ones. Mine was, was pretty young, but I mean, it was it was velvet and cartilage. There didn't seem to be like a whole lot of really solid, solid bone there. Is that just because we shot small ones or early on in the year? Is that kind of what to expect? Uh, you probably just shot small ones. <laughs> um, I, I, I have, I, I have got, I have got three caribou that were in the velvet. I mean, big caribou, um, you know, double shovel, everything, um, fully velveted. I want to say the earliest we've ever got a caribou was the first week of August. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was on a, uh, youth hunt that we went and we got a nice one. And then I've gotten several on the opener on like August 10th. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we we were kind of figured that it was probably a little bit of both. You know, even when you get a a, a nice mature black-tailed deer in the velvet, you're going to lose a little bit because it hasn't totally hardened. So as you're peeling off the velvet, you take a little bit out. And so uh, we figured it was kind of that, but then we started thinking about some of those larger ones. And if you do lose a little bit of mass once you take the velvet off. Yeah. Yeah, I have one actually that I kept the velvet on and I had uh, a Euro done with the velvet on because it was just so pretty. It was like a golden, it was like a golden color. Yeah. And I was, man, this is too pretty to peel this thing off. Yeah. And so the taxidermist was able to uh, for formaldehyde it, I think they did, huh. and, and save that velvet look, which was beautiful. Have you gotten into any of that taxidermy stuff a little bit? It seems like it'd be cool to be able to do, but then you got to have a lot of extra chemicals and space just laying around. And I don't know if I'm down with that. <laughs> yeah, it's a messy job, man. I, I, I have, I have messed with it in the past um, as far as like boiling it and, and, and talking to these guys using, um, using different chemicals to, uh, to bleach it and all that stuff. I, I was never impressed with any of the work that I did. Uh-huh. Um, and actually, Brandon, he, he's actually gotten really good at it. I think he really enjoys it. So I, I don't mind dropping it off to Brandon or one of the other guys that I know that's going to actually do it right. And I have several that, you know, they're just in my backyard and nature's just taking their, mm-hmm. taking their, uh, the, the natural taxidermy going on. That's a cool look too. That That's the, ru- the rustic, uh, just found it out deadhead type look, which is pretty cool too. If it's too white and too gleamy, I mean, it looks really nice and it's great to be inside, but there's something else to be said about that, that rustic look too. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And actually I, I had a really nice one that I've letting uh, Brandon experiment with um, because I want it to look really nice, but I want it to be outside on my shed. Mm, nice. And so he like, he like did a process to it and, and, it it didn't hold <laughs> as he came <laughs> as he as he came by 
as he came by, he's like, oh, that thing, that didn't work what I need to do. So he's going to take it back and, and try to and try to fix it up. And we're trying to figure out, he's trying to figure out, I should say, is what's what's the best, uh, I don't know, chemical combination to or a staining combination to make it look like an indoor one, but that stays outside in the weather. Mm-hmm. Well, how much of the stuff do you like get taxidermy now at this point? Like, do you have the... You have a couple caribou and you're kind of done going forward. Uh, do you have like the black bear on the wall? Do you have kind of a one of each type thing or are you just collecting and collecting? It gets expensive uh, after a while. Uh, it is expensive after a while. And, and to be honest, I'd probably have more, but my wife said there's a three head limit in our house. Total or per animal? <laughs> so so I, I have uh, I have a nice velveted caribou gyro um, in my house, and then I have another really big uh, big caribou, you know, all gyro, and then I have the sheep in there. Mm. And then what I've been doing, I have that other nice one that's for outside. I got a couple just, you know, laying around in the back. The kids play with them, and people check them out. But I've started to um, make uh, – get them done and give them to uh, friends and family for gifts. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So I gave my brother-in-law a really nice one and I got a couple cousins like that have visited and they live in like Florida or, you know, Colorado. And, and I was like, well, you know, I don't need any more, but I can get them do it cheaply and, and have send it to them. And at least someone's appreciating it. Yeah. We found a cool deadhead up on that uh, Hall Road hunt, and it was, you know, not a ma- massive caribou, but it was just, you know, an iconic-looking caribou. And thought, man, this would be pretty cool. I'm definitely not going to go through the trouble of hiking it back the five miles back to the road uh, and then have to deal with it there. And, you know, we were still, it was day two of the hunt, and so we were hoping to have antlers ourselves to take home. And so it would have been just, like, a lot of extra to have. So we let we left it out there, but... Yeah, deadheads are, are are pretty cool and and sheds and all that. Yeah, it's a big thing. Uh, you know, I we as Jack and I went on our sheep hunt, there was these two guys that came out of the area, went in, and they were shed hunting. They had all kind of um, caribou and moose antlers, and they, it seemed like they went in there specifically for that reason. Hmm. And you know, as Alaskans, they they use that stuff for so many cool door handles yeah. and and lamps and and things like that, and. And if I don't come home with the head, like my kids are disappointed, even if it's like the, the littlest, littlest spike fork or whatever, like they want to see it. You know? Yeah. So, so I bring it home and if it just lays in the garage or, or they end up, you know, playing swords with it, it's, yeah, it's fine. There's a, a huge market for elk antlers uh, in the lower 48. And I didn't know how crazy people were about it. I figured that people would just, you know, if you happen to be out there in the spring, you just go and get them but there are people who apparently like chase down the elk hoping that they will drop the antlers it's horribly illegal but they're trying to stress out the elk to get them to drop the antlers and so they can take them in and there's i mean i'm not sure exactly how much they're worth but you can make hundreds and hundreds of dollars depending on how many elk antlers you get and i just thought wow that's crazy so people are going they're looking for dozens of antlers not just going for a nice stroll, hoping for one. Oh, they're actually hunting it almost like for some sort of profit. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And there's like a season, I think it's some, uh, you can't shed hunt until a certain time. 
just to prevent people from stressing out the animals that might be in their in their winter range. You know, they got a harsh winters down there. Get through that. You don't want people that are that are crowding or, or trying to do weird stuff with them. But it's yeah, it's it's something else. Uh, I didn't I didn't know that. I kn- I know that there's like people that do that and they're super into it. But I always wonder like, what are they doing with all these? I mean. I know that the people make like cool chandeliers and stuff like that, but I didn't know that it was such a profitable opportunity. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know either. That's uh, I did a little little Google search right here. Uh, the average whoa, the average price per pound for grade A brown elk antler is between twelve and sixteen dollars. Wow. Yeah, this is from Outdoors Mecca. Uh, website it's crazy and then a grade b is if they're white eight to eleven dollars per pound and then grade c is chalk one to three man yeah so if you're if you get where a herd was and you're getting yeah, and you, two dozen uh, antlers and those things can weigh 15 20 pounds you're making some money yeah that kind of reminds me of my days when i used to collect aluminum cans when i was a kid <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah shoot that's uh do they do huh. that with, is there a market for like the caribou and the moose antlers too? I don't know. I would, shoot, this is this is something to, to take note of. Um, this is just down south stuff, so it talks about uh, deer. And I'm assuming that's mule deer. But uh, I don't know. Caribou antler price. I mean, you always see people who are who are selling them. You go to where's that uh, that antler place in um, by Butte up there by you guys? Or that, oh yeah, that, the, yeah, the, yeah, the, the reindeer yeah, place. Yeah. There are selling antlers there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I wonder if it's the legality of that. I mean, obviously Ooh. the reindeer ones because they're farming it. Yeah. But I wonder. I I always thought that you couldn't sell things like that. Yeah. Um. So I always gifted away, but now you got me thinking maybe I should be selling this to my family. <laughs> yeah. You were like, this is a nice, cheap way that I can be giving relatives gifts, but man, maybe you need to, I bought you this or I didn't sell this. So this is actually, there's a monetary value. Yeah. I'm not sure if, I, I wouldn't think there would be a problem with just collecting sheds and trying to sell them. You know, you see those at antique stores, you see them around all over the place. So I don't think there would be a problem, but, um, yeah, you know that's funny. I, I saw I saw a guy last winter, and um, he had um, like this old like Dodge Ram truck, like really old, like from the seventies, and he had moose horns and caribou horns stacked up like I don't know twenty feet. It was crazy. It was like, how is this guy even? allowed to drive down the road with this thing and i was just it just it just sparked my mind i was like what is this guy doing with all this stuff but now it makes sense if he's if he's selling it or or making some kind of money off that thing um but it was like an insane amount it was an insane amount of like sheds he had in the back of his truck like three times the height of his of his truck huh. i gotta find the picture i'll send it to you because i had to take the picture i was like look at this guy yeah I mean, it, it kind of harkens back to those old days when you had those buffalo hunters who were just, you know, selling for hides and just massacring bison for the hides. 
Um, yeah. So there's always been a market. So I wonder if there's probably some laws that were put in there to prevent the wholesale slaughter of the species that might still be on the books in some areas. And I wonder if that if some of that stuff is in Alaska, Alaska too. But yeah, it's got to be. And you know, thinking about that, I wonder if they. Um, I wonder if uh, with the elk stuff, if they're uh, grinding it down and, and creating some sort of uh, like a supplement or something. Oh, I wonder. <laughs> this is a whole man. There are people listening to this who are going to be like, "Dude, these guys are what are they talking about?" But yeah, I do wonder. <laughs> I mean, there's. I think for for deer or something like that. I think there's you know something about horns I, I think and there antlers. Is something like that. Yeah, because you know there's always there's always you always heard about like the black bear gallbladder and mm-hmm. and, and things like that and and you know six and things like that. But I, man, there's got to be. I'm gonna actually geek out on this when I go home. Yeah. And do that because I'm I'm sure I know that they're I know that they do have a deer horn like some sort of supplement now i don't know if that's just uh uh like in the asian culture or or what where that stems from um but there's there's got to be something to it we'll have to get back to the people on that yeah i definitely think um was it the the rhino horn something about that um cultural um cultural importance like the natural viagra or something yeah yeah i think i think something like that yeah yeah, interesting. <laughs> that's great. That's 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 some interesting stuff right there. Uh, yeah, and I would it would be curious to see uh, what the difference is. Yeah, I could be sitting on a bunch of money in my backyard. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> of course, the amount of money that it takes you to get out there and do stuff. I know. <laughs> yeah. There's a. a um, I don't know if you've heard of Corey Jacobson. He's a big uh, elk hunter guy. He does yep. destination yes, I elk. Have. Yeah. He and uh, cameraman John they did a little fly in and then floated. And they uh, did their their shed hunting that way, which it seemed like a just a fun. You know, you fly out and then you float down a river. I thought, man, that's that's going hard for some antlers. Yeah, that is going hard for some antlers. They must have a real reason, yeah. a real reason for that. And I know I heard. I don't know. You might know they um, they have. Uh, I heard you're not even allowed to like remove if you find like a. Uh, mammoth a mammoth tusk or uh um something like that like you're supposed to leave it like i heard you're not even allowed to like remove it from the area now yeah because people have been going and like actually like searching them out and and getting them um i know that my uh my wife's my wife's uh, grandpa was a geologist back in the day in alaska and he he himself had uh a really nice mammoth tusk that he like kind of gifted down to his kids and has kind of made their way down. So I'm hoping that one day it'll come to me, but I don't know what the legality of, of having that is. Maybe because he found it, you know, so long ago, it's okay. Got grandfathered I, in. I thought yeah. I, I thought, yeah. I thought I read something that now you're not allowed to even like, kind of like the Clovis thing. Mm. Like yeah. you're not supposed to like pick that stuff up in certain places. Yeah. Yeah, that is really interesting. Um, I, I know down here, I think with whale carcasses, if there's a whale carcass, it has to be officially documented that there is a dead whale on the beach before you're able to collect any of the bones or the baleen. So you have to get like, authorization um, from know, troopers or fishing fish game or something like that in order to, to, you know, it's a dead whale, but you can't even pick up the bones unless you have uh, clearance. So that's uh, uh-huh. that's kind of interesting. 
I think it's the same with the walrus. Yeah. The the walrus uh, deal. Just to to make absolutely sure that you weren't involved in some sort of weird poaching type thing or whatever, which makes sense. Like it it seems ridiculous on some level, but at the same time, you just got to make sure that people aren't using loopholes and and getting super shady. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I guarantee you there's thousands of people with those things in their homes. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> for sure, without question. Yeah. That's interesting. That's the weird thing about relics. Like you see some you find a relic and it's it's a cool thing, but it's also you know, could have cultural significance and it doesn't belong to your culture. So like, do you, should you give it to uh, donate to a museum? Is that the right thing to do? Like you, if you have it in your place, you're honoring it and you're treasuring it and you have this story of, Hey, you found this, but you know, obviously if that's an archeological site, then you should probably preserve the archeological site and it'd be cool to have that stuff at a museum. So finders keepers is a weird, weird game. Yeah. I think they're trying to change all that. I mean, because even you've heard of people finding, uh, you know, old dinosaur bones and stuff in their backyard, and they pretty much get confiscated. Yeah, yeah. It's, if, uh, you tell, if you tell somebody, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not advocating for anybody to do anything. You know, you got to just do whatever you do. But that's yeah. right. That's right. Very interesting. Well, man, it's uh, a nice Thursday evening. It might be the last uh, nice evening before it uh, starts raining. Once it starts raining down here, it might not stop until February. So, well, it started here in July and hasn't stopped. I know it's you guys. The- you guys just get a couple, few months of rain, and you guys freak out. You know, if uh, the weather splits <laughs> no, for just is, a little, is, little bit. This, is, this has been a little bit more than normal. This has been pretty, pretty, uh, pretty different. It's been raining like intensely like every day since july 15th it's crazy yeah, yeah that's not good you definitely some some flooding and some devastation which is horrible um the the rivers drain so well up there because you have you know just so much more area but shoot you get enough rain and there's gonna be some problems that's not good there is i mean i, I never had water in my uh, i actually my wife asked me to check the crawl space uh the other day and, and there was some water down there and Yikes. i was surprised because you know we lived in that house for a long time and i've never ever ever seen water down there um it's not a lot it's nothing that that's uh alarming or anything but i don't have a sub pump in down in my in my house but it got me thinking well maybe i should get one installed because i've never seen water in there and that just kind of counts to the rainfall that's happened yeah it's july well i mean if if you didn't have something to keep you up at night now you do right i mean it'd be it'd be horrible if you didn't have something to worry about yeah yeah and i i'm actually really glad i got this this uh patch in my roof done back in june (laughs) because i had a small leak when it would rain and like uh it would blow a certain way it would like kind of come under the under one of some of those shingles and I didn't think it was bad, and we ended up just getting it done. And I'm glad I did because it would have been a big problem. Good call. Yeah. Get some bonus points for having the foresight on that one? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't (laughs) bad at all, but it was just one of those, like, I better go ahead and get this looked at. And I'm glad I did because it would have turned into a major problem. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on here, man. Give me the the pitch for uh, Alaska Wild Project. You guys are in the 80s now of your podcast episodes. Where can people find you there and donate to uh, or the cause on uh, follow you guys and events? What do you got? Yeah, so we just recorded uh, episode 82, um, and uh, we got the ball rolling. I think we're booked with guests all the way to December. 
um, alaskawildproject.com. We just uh, got a big new order of uh, merch. So if anyone wants to get some sort of logo gear, you can go to the website there and uh, we'll ship it to you anywhere in the world that you're listening to. Um, that's probably the uh, best way to support us. It's kind of a walking advertisement for uh, for us and uh, high quality shirts and hats and, and hoodies and stuff like that. And if you're in town, we got some of the stuff there at Barney's. Um, so yeah, we're, we're keep pushing and then we're still coming with uh with an episode a week and, uh, it's been fun and we're really excited for some of the guests we got coming up. And if you haven't checked it out, um, you can find it on Apple. We do do a video version on YouTube, uh, that comes out every Saturday. That's been steadily growing. Um, so we appreciate you guys appreciate you having us on and, uh, check it out. Awesome, man. Thanks. So it was good to talk to you, buddy. All right, Jeff. Talk yeah. to you later. Take care.